Crypto curious, keep an open mind, enjoy the conversation, and stay crypto current. Now, here's your host, Richard Carthon. Hey, Cryptocurrent crew, this is Steve Miller, and I'm the host of CC Live, the show that keeps you up to date with what's popping off in crypto land. Every episode of CC Live brings you the latest news, keeps you updated on the top projects, and decrypts everything you need to know to get ahead in the wild world of Web3. So, if you really want to stay crypto current, Join Richard, Chris, and I every Tuesday and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on YouTube Live. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to Cryptocurrency YouTube channel today. And as always, stay Cryptocurrent. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cryptocurrent. Your host here, Richard Carthon. And today we got a special treat for you. We have a repeat guest. That is right. If you go back to episode 121, Back in September of 2020, man, has so much happened since then. We have an amazing guest that helped bring some insights into a lot of things, all things accounting as it relates to crypto and the blockchain. Of course, there's even more happening right now. And of course, it's timely with uh, tax season upon us here in 2022. It is amazing and great to have you back, Dr. Sean Stein Smith. How are you doing today? Awesome, Richard. Thank you so much for the invitation back on the show. I'm doing great. And yes, there's been a ton going on during the last 18 months or so. So there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, man. And it's, it's cool with your background with being a professor at um, Lehman College and then also you know, being a, a crypto advisor. I'm sure you have had quite a bit on your plates as of late, just as more and more institutional players are coming in, schools are trying to figure out how to get in this space and just so on and so forth. Tell me, catch us up over the last two years, you know, what you've been up to. <laughs> so, so probably sort of the high points, right, are one, absolutely, right, as more institutions, be they institutional investors, be they colleges, universities, or just corporations, right, audit firms, tax firms, or the clients of those firms are more and more trying to get a blockchain to work inside their company, or actually the, the easier on-ramp is actually trying to get crypto to be used as a payment tool, right? Either paying vendors in crypto or allowing customers to pay them in crypto. And all of that on the surface is a easy fix, right? You, you download a, or you uh, onboard a uh, API, gilded, BitPay, any of those items out there, and then have them handled for you, great. On the surface, ultra easy, but then on the back end, trying to do the payroll processing, cash management, billables, payables, all the rest, all of that is a, is a huge headache for firms out there. And then adding on to that, how do you audit that? And then adding on to that, how do you properly do the income tax impact of all of that? So all of that is going on, right? The institutional side of it. And then on the individual side, right? The individual investor, trader, person, obviously DeFi and NFTs are huge. And honestly, both of them really burst out into the mainstream back during 2021. And they both you know, peaked early in 21. And then I guess back in the fourth quarter are now back on the upswing. And then in 2022 are hot button topics for everybody out there right now. Yeah. I mean, 
again, I know you've been staying busy with all of that, and there's so much to unpack with everything that you just said. The one that I want to start on, which is, you know, capturing everyone's minds right now, is the thing around staking and how do you report that to the IRS? And the IRS recently came out with some pretty significant news where they decided that they would not be taxing it. So can you kind of just break that down? I believe you're publishing something that's on a pretty big publisher pretty soon, if you can share that. Yes, sure thing. Absolutely. So yeah, so I publish a column each week on this tiny website. Might have heard of it, Forbes. And so and so I do uh, have an article coming out on this uh, topic presently. But off the top, on the one hand, yes, Richard, it is excellent news, right, on the surface. But on the other hand, it is not as broadly impactful as you might think, right? So off the top, uh, the whole concept of DeFi and DeFi staking, basically where I put funds, be it ETH, be it Bitcoin, be it any other type of token or coin, I put those coins on deposit at a wallet or a company who then basically does activities with those coins or tokens that I put on deposit, and then I get paid, I earn rewards. So it's kind of like earning interest on a bank deposit. But there's one critical item there, right? That up until now, ever since 2014, the IRS has publicly and very proactively said that any time that any crypto, be it Bitcoin, be it Paxos, Circle USD, Tether, NFTs, any of them, anytime any of them are transferred, traded, swapped, transformed, that is a income tax, right? Tax filing and also tax payment, possibly. And I won't get too too elbows deep into it here, Rich, but the IRS calls it property. Okay, so so a good proxy for that has been, well, basically treat any trade or, or transaction in crypto as if you were using a share of Apple stock, right? And so anytime that is traded, there's a income tax impact. But the actual process of creating these DeFi staking rewards, that is actually creating new property, new crypto, new tokens. Okay, so if the IRS is out here saying that all crypto is property and it's taxed as such, but on the other hand, the IRS code actually outlines any new property created. And the example used is actually gold, right? So as a gold miner, I'm out there mining for gold and I find it, refine it, polish it up, all the rest. I don't pay taxes on that gold until I have an external transaction, right? Until I actually actually sell it. And so on the one hand, right, tax folks, CPAs, and the IRS itself have all been saying that anytime that you earn any DeFi coins or tokens, those have to be taxed at that moment. But if they are property and these coins and tokens are new property, that is wrong. And so all those block rewards should not be taxed until the point in time that they are sold. And so and so basically that's the case, right? That under current guidance and current, you know, talking about it, commentary, all the rest, that as taxpayers have been actually paying taxes, it's a possibility that over the last five or seven years, taxpayers have been overpaying. And it hasn't really been an issue until now because from 
January 2020, right, total assets invested into DeFi operations were half a billion dollars. As of the fourth quarter of last year, it was over $200 billion. And so it's grown incredibly fast. There are institutions doing it. There are individuals doing it. I'm doing it. And so, and so having that transparency, and so actually, hold on a second. On the one hand, you're saying this, but then on the other hand, previous tax code, tax law, says the opposite. And so all of that is at the crux of this case. And so you know, actually, the underlying question is, when do investors have control, ownership, or, or uh, receipt of these tokens or coins being created? And then two, when are those coins or tokens actually taxed? But I do want to also issue just a little caveat here that basically the IRS has judged based on the facts and circumstances of this one case. And so I would caution anybody out there who's involved in these activities to go to your CPA, go to your tax pro, talk to them, and to try to make the best choice possible. I'm still encouraging people to play it safe and to pay taxes as they have been paying it, right? Because the IRS has made no public commentary, no formalized update to how they are treating it overall. Rather, the IRS has chosen to not pursue this matter in this one case. So on the one hand, positive news for sure. On the other hand, has to be sort of cautiously optimistic about it. For sure. No, you you brought up a lot of points and one of the ones that kind of stuck out to where it's kind of a double-edged sword where we technically are paying overpaying taxes, but at the same time, it sounds like the thing that I want to go back to is kind of like you were saying, yep. going from like USDC to USDT or going to Paxos, going from in and out of these stable coins, each of those are taxable events. And I guess my question then becomes like if they're quote unquote stable coins, why? Because like if you are going, I guess, from like literally USD to a foreign currency, and then you tried to come back, would the government tax you on that as well? Or like, how does that, you know what I'm saying? Like, how does that work if, if it's supposed to be a one-to-one -one entry? Sure. So the core difference there, Rich, is that, is that foreign currency is actually its, its whole separate branch of uh, US taxes. And that as far as the IRS goes, USDT, USDC, any of these other private leasing stable coins are sure they are advertised as a one-to-one -one match to the U.S. dollar. But in the eyes of the IRS, who is the only U.S. regulator to have issued any binding guidance on this stuff, as far as they're concerned, any crypto asset is property, right? How it's advertised, how it's built, how it's used, or how, it's, or, or how it operates has no bearing on, on how it's taxed. And so, and so that's the key issue there. There is that all of this and all of the headaches and compliance headaches and cost and confusion really is all actually based on the fact that only in the U.S. at least the uh, the IRS has issued any binding guidance on how these instruments are to be treated. Wow. Okay. Well, that's definitely interesting. <laughs> and as we kind of look at this and. It's interesting as you kind of look at this where a lot of people who have done things from bridging, from going from one blockchain to another with even the same token, right? Going from like USDC on Ethereum and then bridging it and then going it to a Solana ecosystem or Avalanche or something mm -hmm. like that. So 
even though it's going to another ecosystem, I guess because it's now AUSD or whatever it is, that's a taxable event. So it's just interesting on how, I guess that's a big CPA question there. It's just like, even how you move your money around each of those moments could be considered a taxable event. Hey, Cryptocurrent crew, this is Steve Miller, and I'm the host of CC Live, the show that keeps you up to date with what's popping off in crypto land. Every episode of CC Live brings you the latest news, keeps you updated on the top projects, and decrypts everything you need to know to get ahead in the wild world of Web3. So if you really want to stay Cryptocurrent, join Richard, Chris, and I every Tuesday and Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on YouTube Live. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to Cryptocurrent's YouTube channel today, and as always, stay Cryptocurrent. Yeah, no, and I mean, uh, bridging or any wrapping Bitcoin, right, is a huge open item right now, wrapped Bitcoin. And, and so it all comes down to, is there a economic transaction happening, right? Is there a transfer? Is there a trade? Is there a actual swap? Whereas if you're technically only moving the exact same asset from blockchain to blockchain, technically that transaction didn't happen. Right? There is no transaction. I'm just moving it around. But if you have to convert it at any point, pay any gas fees, or actually wrap it to have it moved from blockchain to blockchain, then all of that triggers the IRS of classification as a transaction happening. And so, yeah, it is a monster headache right? for anybody out there trying to give tax advice to clients. It's a monster headache, right? Because one, the IRS treatment is, I think, sort of heavy-handed and just blanketing everything to treat it the exact same way is not really accurate. And then two, it's also more sort of hands-on. How do you get all of that information out of these companies, right. out of Kraken, right. Coinbase even, you know, and all of these other sort of protocols and platforms that are truly decentralized, how do you possibly get all of that transactional history out of it? And so all of that, it's, it's a huge headache and a huge mess. And I feel for anybody out there trying to help clients navigate this outlook, be, you know, because it really is complicated. Yeah, uh, on that subject, uh, talking about complicated to, to deal with, the legislation that just went through back in 2021 that basically punted until 2023 to actually enact on basically the tax law around who is, do you know which one I'm talking about? Basically, they're going to have to figure yes. out if they, in the, in the eyes of the IRS, are able to... Uh, Who's a broker? Broker. Who's broker. a broker? That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. Yep. Man, yes. can we kind of unpack so, that just for a second? <laughs> sure, sure. And so, yes, yeah, so, and, I, and I believe it was passed on November 15th. It was a bipartisan in, infrastructure bill. It was right. passed in the fourth quarter of, of 2021. And so two main things really hit there. One, this, this whole classification, again, using an overly broad umbrella, I think, of a broker, can, as the law is, is currently written, if the law is enforced, as it is written, and all of that is still open to debate, as you said, anybody who's involved really in, in any aspect of transactions linked to crypto could be classified as a broker, be it miners, developers, wallet hosters, anybody who's involved in those transactions. Okay, fine. On the surface, like, all right, fine, so, so, so then I have some compliance work to do. Well, yes, but it's a lot of compliance, right? Because ultimately, if you are classified as a broker, 
you have to file and have the exact same level of transparency and compliance, even if it's not the same volume right, of customers, you have to have the exact same level of compliance as if you're a Coinbase or a Kraken, actual corporate entities who have, who have people on the, on the payroll to handle just that. So on the one hand, it's a huge compliance burden on the entire ecosystem that supports tokens, DeFi, NFT activities. So on the one hand, it's a huge burden on them. And then two, this change is the actual one that I'm the most worried about, right? That as the law is currently written, if you are classified as a broker and you are not in compliance with all of that, my paperwork and stuff, by 1-1-2024, the IRS code section 6050I has also, has also been updated to include now cash, right? Always was, and then now virtual assets. And so now going forward, any business, any individual developer, programmer, anybody who's involved who gets paid over 10 grand in crypto during that annual period for business services has to be in full compliance with those broker rules. And if you're not, under the IRS code section 6050I, that's a felony. So it's so one, it's it's compliance paperwork, whatever. But two, if you are caught up in it and you are not in compliance, as the law is is currently written right now, it's a felony. So there are some <laughs> big, big changes coming uh, down the pipe. And trust me, any any time that uh, any time over the last half year or so, any tax conversation that I have, both of these items are are hot button, top burner items. They have to be because, yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's ever been something in place that one could stifle innovation and then two, make an enormous amount of people liable to be considered a felon because, you know, the majority of people who are involved in this space who might have done it in the last, you know, because I, I think it tracks back. It's not like at the moment when it passes, if you no, do something after it, it's in, it's, it's period. So yeah. like if you've done any crypto trading period and then just forgot about it or kind of whatever, you could be susceptible to being a felon. Like this is going to impact millions of people. I don't see how in the next two years they don't try to fix this. Like the, there's just, there's way too much implications and like liability for like your everyday person just trying to like involve and innovate this space. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know Coinbase is the, Obviously, it, it, it's the one, the highest profile company out there, right? That has individual users. Coinbase has over 80 million customers. People can buy crypto on Robinhood, Cash App. I can use it to now pay bills via PayPal. MasterCard and Visa are also rolling out uh, their own crypto payment options. I mean, it's, it's, it has moved very quickly into a tool and an instrument that anybody can use to pay anything on their phone, on their tablet, at home, on their computer. And so I would say, yes, absolutely. That, that right now, right, from a policy point of view, here in the U.S., it's a critical point, right? right? Because, and I believe that I had brought this up last time I was on your show, that actually blockchain and crypto, right, there is no fundamental reason why the U.S. has to be the home for blockchain companies, or any crypto companies, right? There is no underlying reason why. 
right? It's a global decentralized marketplace. And then two, and sort of the bigger picture angle here, right? And right now, I do know that that MIT and the Boston Fed just, I think, at the end of January, they published their first white paper, basically, outlining how the U.S. crypto dollar could work. And so it's really critical to also sort of point out here, right, from sort of a big picture policy point of view, that the one fundamental economic advantage of the U.S. over any other country in the world, right, objectively speaking, right, is, is the dollar being the global reserve currency. Yeah. And, if, and if other currencies, right, China, the euro, other currencies out there, if other currencies are augmented with, with blockchain attributes, crypto attributes, and are easier, faster, cheaper to use, more convenient to use, guess what's going to happen? Our dollar is, over time, going to become obsolete. And so I would feel really, really that outside of sort of the everyday arguments over tax treatment, valuations, that on the other hand, right, in the background, this is a big sort of pivot point, right? How is the U.S. going to actually treat crypto, right? With, with open arms as an asset, as an opportunity to innovate, to actually create, or are we going to be heavy-handed and try to overly control how it develops, which never ends up being good for the marketplace? Right. And I, I want to say that for a second, because cryptocurrency is international. It doesn't have to be based here in the US. And like you said, right now, the strength that we have is that a lot of crypto ultimately when you cash out is trying to be pegged back to the, the US dollar because mm-hmm. in you know the greater world right now, the, do- the US dollar is king, but it doesn't have to be into the future. I mean, I, I believe there's been a, a yeah. change in the national currency, I believe, what, every 80 to 120 years. And right yep. now, the U.S. is coming upon its, what, 100-something year. So, And China right now with the digital one is truly figuring out CBDCs, figuring out how you can get it done. And if China all of a sudden one day says, hey, for you to do business with us, you have to accept our digital one, do you think most countries are going to be like, nope, no thanks? Probably going to go no. with it. And they're going to have the infrastructure and things yes, in place. To, yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where I hope the U.S. government doesn't allow, you know, themselves to get in their own way from innovation and, and stopping things. And I guess time will tell, but a lot of this always goes back to the money. And, and this is why it's a good, important yeah. conversation to always have these accounting conversations with even how you are documenting and getting everything ready. Because in the event that nothing changes, everyone listening, um, as you just heard it here from Dr. Smith, if you are not figuring out how to document everything properly, the IRS could come after you in the next two years, 2024. And that's not, you know, threat or to scare you, but like as things are written in the law right now and nothing changes, if you're not taking care of business, you technically become a felon overnight. And that's a wild concept to think about, but that's where we currently are. And I'm sure there's going to be people within our own government that will be proactive and try to like get this, uh, the language changed and not have a lot of this happen. But we are in a, a crucial point right now where you always have to COA and make sure that you are covering your tracks and doing what you need to to stay in compliance. And I know that you know a couple of different resources to kind of help along the way with that. Do you have some some of those different resources? I know earlier you dropped Gilded. Shout out to Gilded. We've had Rain and Joy on the show back on uh, back in the day, and they're great with being able to have payments for your company mm-hmm. to uh, be able to pay your employees, receive payments, invoice, 
using crypto, but do you have like other resources and things that people can do to, as they run their crypto businesses, uh, be in compliance? So the top piece of advice that I always offer is to is to partner with a crypto tax company or a crypto bookkeeping company. And there are plenty out there, Coin Tracker, Crypto Tax, Token Trader, Luca, Veriday. I mean, there are plenty of, of firms out there whose entire business model is to help you and your business and your customers, vendors, suppliers manage their own crypto trading, investing, banking. So that's the top piece of advice that I would, that I would always give. And uh, obviously doing that costs a little money, but the cost and the risk of being wrong and not being in compliance and owing back taxes, fees, penalties, and don't forget the IRS goes all the way back, right? In 2021, in some of their lawsuits versus Circle and Kraken, they actually go all the way back to 2015. So, so the top piece of advice is to partner with companies who are experts in this area, one. And then two, it's really up to all of us, right? As entrepreneurs, business owners, investors, to educate ourselves, right? Because it's all evolving so, so fast. But the, but the core point on being educated is that obviously being educated overall is always good, but, but actually prior to getting into any type of crypto activity, right? Because it's awfully easy now. There are endless NFTs, DeFi project, coins, tokens, you know, metaverse stuff. It's really, really critical to understand what the economics are of that business or activity being invested into, right? Because ultimately, I can have all of the you know crypto stuff on top, but ultimately, the actual inputs and outputs that matter are those baseline economic components. And so, and so on the one hand, being educated overall is good, but you always have to do your homework on any investment or activity in this space as you would any other activity or asset allocation choice. Absolutely. No, and that is, everyone go back, listen to that, do it a couple of times, do what you can to be as safe and compliant as possible, especially in some of these newer areas. But something I do want to go back to, because we talked about it very briefly earlier, but I know that I am even curious about um, tax implications around NFTs. Can you kind of uh, talk about that a little bit as well? All right. So off the top, you are going to owe taxes on NFTs if you are buying them, selling them, trading them, right? Because a common comment, right, that that I'm hearing quite a bit these days is that, well, it's an NFT, so it's, so, so it's not like Bitcoin, so I don't owe any taxes on it. That's incorrect. Again, the, the IRS catches a wide net over anything linked to crypto is treated as virtual assets, right? And they're all treated as property. Okay, so if you are the creator of a NFT, if you are actually minting your own NFTs, that's probably going to be ordinary income to you. Right, right. Because I, I create the NFT, mint the NFT, and then have a transaction. I sell it, and I earn income off of that. That's going to be ordinary income. If you are buying a NFT, and so here's where you have two options. Option A is you go to a, a company like uh, or a platform like NBA Top Shots, and you can buy right. NFTs in U.S. dollars. Easy stuff. But if you're buying NFTs like a board ape. Right. 
and you have to pay for that in ETH, that automatically means you have a tax compliance obligation and possibly a income tax payment too. So dollars to ETH, fine so far. Then ETH to the NFT, that is a taxable event right there. Paying for that NFT in your ETH as a investor or, or a buyer, that means you owe income taxes on that. Again, ordinary income. And then as that investor, if you hold it for over that that uh, 12-month annual period, any of your gains are, are then taxed at that lower cap gains rate. But if you have NFTs and those NFTs end up being classified as a collectible, again, as defined in the IRS code, if that is classified as a collectible on your balance sheet or in your portfolio, then it's taxed at a higher rate. Plus, you might owe, depending on your uh, home residence, you might owe different state-level investment taxes also. So the whole conversation around taxes on NFTs really does de, does does actually depend on if you are the minter, creator, the buyer, investor of it, and then if you do hold it, how it's actually shown on your portfolio as a investment or as a collectible. And then to add some extra hot sauce here, Rich, right? Now, actually, some NFTs have the option to allow NFT holders, investors, to earn money off of those NFTs. And so then, if you're earning money off of the ownership of this NFT, how is that taxed? It depends. If those payments royalties are paid in dollars, taxed as ordinary income. But if they're paid in coins or or tokens, then you have to figure out what the current market value is of those tokens. And then actually, do you have access to them? Or are those payments basically held in a escrow-like uh, type of holding account until the end of that uh, period? So then all of that as that extra layer to it. But overall, NFTs do have tax impacts for anybody who's involved in those transactions. And so, again, it's really, really critical document stuff. And to actually talk to somebody who is who is a uh, tax expert and also knows crypto. Oh, man. So that was my mind's blown. <laughs> because the first thing that, like, that comes to mind for me is like, aren't all NFTs collectibles? Because if it's one of 10,000 or one of 1,000 or... Wait, couldn't it be argued that those are collectibles? So, yes, and also no, right? right? Because the IRS code section says that it can be artwork, jewelry, gems, alcohol, or other assets as defined at the IRS. It depends on actually how the NFT being purchased and held is actually being classified, right? So, so yeah. uh, just a quick... Example here, if it's an NFT of this picture right here, that is artwork. And so, and so that is technically a collectible. But if it's an NFT of a album being dropped next month, that's not as easy to actually pin down. Is that a collectible or not? I see. So that'd be all NFTs that are like the profile picture, the PFP type of situations they'd be considered art, so therefore they're collectibles? I would say generally speaking, yes. Interesting. So it's just going to be at a higher tax bracket. 
Man, there's just yeah. so many layers to the accounting <laughs> fund that goes into this. Even the fact that purchasing these NFTs with all the conversions of that, each of those are taxable events as well. So again, looks like a lot of this is still evolving. Looks like there's still a lot of uh, nuanced things that are out there. The final one that I do want to throw out there, uh, because I sure. believe some news came out that the IRS also decided that they aren't going to tax airdrops. Do you have any info on what to do about airdrops? So the whole, the whole conversation on taxes and airdrops is an area that I've been trying to figure out since about 2017. And that honestly, you know, there is no hard and fast rule around airdrop taxation, right? Because on the one hand, are you an active participant in the airdrop? Meaning, are you doing anything, taking any action, opening a, a hyperlink? Are you taking action to then earn those airdrop tokens? Or are you truly a, a passive recipient of these airdrop tokens, one? And, and that's awfully hard to prove, right? And then two, is there any way to actually externally value any airdrop tokens, right? The vast bulk of these airdrop tokens have no market value and aren't ever going to, right? So then how do I value them? And then three, how do I actually track how the transaction history of these tokens unfolds, right? Right, so, so a quick example there. Most people aren't being airdropped Bitcoin or ETH or XRP. Litecoin. And so, and, and so actually trading these coins or tokens isn't as liquid or as easy as trading Bitcoin or other more liquid crypto is. And so then all of that basically combines to create a very uncertain tax, tax question as to how to value them, how to trace them, how to tax them, and then how to actually figure out who owns what tokens, right? The ownership, valuation and then the proving of that, I would say that I would hope that going forward that the IRS has some more clarity and has some more nuance to their current commentary on it. You know, the actual tax code or the IRS FAQs have not yet actually gotten updated. And so it's really critical to always treat every instance, right? Every individual investor or taxpayer as its own unique situation. If you're trying to figure out, do you owe taxes on any airdrop tokens? Right. No, that's that's definitely good to know as well. I mean, look, there's going to be more and more new wrinkles to to throw into the equation every year, and um, I'm sure there's always going to be a reason for to to bring you on for follow up to unpack even more of this. But you know, the the big ones to take away today, right now, again, are DeFi implications, NFT implications and um, potential airdrops as well, but all the same, or even how you are switching in and out of potential monies. For, ex for example, if you use these DEXs, each of those are tax implications as well. Can you quickly speak on that as well? And we'll kind of wrap up there. So I think DEXs are an excellent innovation, an, an excellent tool, but they are an absolute nightmare for any tax compliance, any sort of documentation work, right? right? Because if you're trading on a DEX, and it's truly a DEX, right? There is no hub or any homepage to go to. And so how can you possibly trace, trace your transactions on a DEX-to-DEX -DEX basis? In those cases, the best sort of workaround that I found for now, and I do know that there are some companies working on building basically blockchain 
Explorers 2.0 to to actually trace those transactions from Dex one to two three four. But at this current time, the best piece of insight that I would say is to try to track your transactions as they go onto DEXs and off of them. And to then have that be your cost basis or your or your or your current market valuation. Now, all of that is also helped by if the tokens or the coins you were trading have any external valuation and you have your own transaction records on your app or in your wallet, then then it's a lot easier for you and your tax pro again to go through and to hopefully have a tool or I should do it manually, go through and actually map together your cost basis per per transaction, right? Because every individual has their wallet and so has their own history. And so it's really up to the individual taxpayer partnering with somebody, hopefully, who's an expert in the space to actually try to piece together and to map out their own transaction history. But if you aren't able to, to handle that, do that, or some other factor, the on-ramps and off-ramps, right? As you either you know convert your your tokens being traded on those DEXs back into Tether or into Bitcoin or into US dollars, those on-ramps and off-ramps are at the very least a baseline or a touch point that can be used to help you sort of outline how much you probably owe in uh, income taxes and and also will help you if the IRS does ever ask you for more information, right. which the IRS has actually mailed out at this point, I think 50,000 letters to individual taxpayers asking for wow. more data. So, Well, you heard it here first. There's plenty to keep unpacking <laughs> in the accounting world. There's a lot that's going to continue to unfold. There are resources out there. Uh, Dr. Smith uh, said a lot of them earlier, but make sure you're putting it out there and make it a priority this year to make your first attempt at your crypto taxes, especially if you have never paid them before, might be worth uh, putting a little bit of investment <laughs> towards it, trying to get your ducks in a row, do what you can to at least make sure you are making those first steps so that you can be prepared for this tax uh, season and all tax seasons into the future. But again, uh, Dr. Sean Smith, thank you so much for spending some time with us, dropping all this knowledge. What's the final thought that you want to leave with us first? And then what are ways that people can connect with you? I would say that my, that, that, that my final thought here is that I'm an avid believer in crypto. I'm an avid investor and user of it. And that, yes, there are tax headaches right now, compliance headaches, whatever. But all of that is, is a part of how the asset class and how the ecosystem is actually growing and actually becoming more more mainstream. And so, yes, it's obviously a headache right now, but ultimately having transparency and clarity and more consistency will help the asset class and all of us grow further going forward. And and then as far as the as the best place to be in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Sean Steinsmith and I'm on LinkedIn at Sean Steinsmith. Perfect. Well, definitely appreciate your time today. And as always, everyone, make sure you go and check out Dr. Smith. And of course, stay Cryptocurrent. Hey, Cryptocurrent crew. We want to give a quick shout out to all of our faithful listeners out there. It's been an amazing journey, and we really appreciate your support throughout the years as we've been growing as a community. Each episode, we decided that we would start sharing some of the reviews that you were leaving for us. For today, we would like to share this review. Today's review comes from JDog335. Great information and easy to digest. I'd recommend to anyone interested in crypto. 
We sincerely appreciate this review and all reviews and would like to ask that if you're enjoying our show, please take a quick moment to go and leave a review on our podcast so that hopefully we can be highlighting your review next. Simply go to our show notes or go to our website where we have a link where you can share your review today. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information on today's episode and all of our episodes, please visit us at www.crypto-current.co. You can also find a link in the show notes. Want to stay up to date in the latest news in cryptocurrency? Sign up for our newsletter today. You'll receive daily emails Monday through Friday that are personalized and curated content specific to you and your interest, powered by artificial intelligence. You can either go to our show notes or go to our website to sign up today. Are you an accredited investor looking to invest in cryptocurrency? Crescent City Capital can help. Go to crescentcitycapital.com for more information. I don't know if you've noticed, but the quality of our podcast each week are improving. I can only thank my amazing producer, Andrew DeRitter with DeRitter Productions, who has been putting all of this together. If you have any podcast, music, or audio needs, please go to DeRitterProductions.com. That's D-E-R-I-T-T-E-R Productions.com. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Cryptocurrent with Richard Carthon. We'll be back with more exciting developments from the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency next week. But until then, stay Cryptocurrent. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cryptocurrent. Just one quick reminder. Cryptocurrent is a cryptocurrency and blockchain education platform that's bridging the gap between the curious newcomers who are just discovering the space and the thought leaders who are shaping its future. All opinions expressed by Richard Carthon, the Cryptocurrent team, and their guests on this show are exclusively their own opinions. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Richard, the team, and their guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow his financial advice. This show and any other cryptocurrent production is exclusively for informational purposes.